big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our newest patron, Zwi. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like Zwi and get access to bonus content like our notes, outtakes and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And now, enjoy today's episode, covering the first part of the 2008 adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, with our very special guests, our significant others, Mel and Mike. Have we had enough uh, pre-show banter? I think we have. <laughs> um, I, I have some good stuff lined up, so we should dive in. I got some good banter lined up. Nice! I don't have just banter lined <laughs> up, I have facts. Oh, Becca has facts. Because that's my job as the person who's supposed to know things about Jane Austen on this podcast. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, let's Becca Molly. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about the 2008 Sense and Sensibility by Andrew Davies. Written by Andrew Davies. Yes. Our boy. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to a brand new piece of content, uh, the Sense and Sensibility BBC miniseries. Now, for those of you who know the series well, you might know sometimes it gets broken down into three episodes, sometimes it gets broken down into two episodes. For the purposes of this podcast, Molly and I have broken it down into the two episode pieces because that was what was on Hulu in the U.S., but we're not here alone today. In fact, we have two guests on. This is an unprecedented moment for us on the pod because we've decided to uh, include our significant others in our ventures into Jane Austen-tude. That's right. Here on the pod today is the one, the only Mike from My Takes, my boyfriend. Hello, Mike. Say hello to the people. Hello, people. Hello, Jane Austen. This is what I sound like. Uh... And my, my voice is a little gruffy today because I'm I'm uh, overcoming a cold. So it's not what I always sound like, but this is what I sound like when I have a cold. Yes. And you are the reason why we're not all recording in person today. Uh, Molly and her guests are on the other side of the Zoom. But Mike and I are here with our tea. And Molly, would you like to introduce your girlfriend? Yes. With our canned cocktails that we purchased at a canned cocktail distillery, I have my girlfriend, Mel, say hello, Mel. Hello, Mel. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, hi, everybody. I am I am honored and terrified to be here. Nice. Yeah. We, we also have Mel's dog in her lap. His yeah. name is Milo. He's he's sitting very patiently in Mel's lap, awaiting his moment, his big moment where he gets to talk about yeah, Colonel he, Brandon. He's got a lot of Edward opinions. <laughs> <laughs> So say we all. <laughs> Speaking of opinions, you guys do not escape the ringer of what you both know are our guest questions that we ask about Jane Austen to every guest. So, Mike, describe your relationship to Jane Austen. Uh, okay, so my relationship with Jane Austen, I remember first seeing the book Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And like really wanting to read it, but having like absolutely zero context because I had never read like I knew about Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen. But I was like, I don't want to read this book without having like read the original text. Like I'd be completely lost. Then one day scrolling through Bumble, come across this woman. She's pretty cute. Meet her at a bar. She tells me, oh, my goodness, I have a Jane Austen podcast. <laughs> um... <laughs> two years weird. later yeah he met me after that which is weird yeah 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 completely different person uh no so then so then i listened to the podcast and then finished that and i did wind up reading uh pride and prejudice and zombies to be and, very clear uh, to our yeah, listeners I'm... mike has read pride and prejudice and zombies and not pride and prejudice but he also has watched 
pretty much all the Jane Austen content we've covered on this podcast with me at this point. <laughs> yeah, and listen to every episode of Pod and Prejudice. Your turn. Oh, my relationship with Jane Austen is eerily similar to Mike's where I have never read it uh, or seen any of the adapt adaptations. Is that how you say that word? Yeah. Um, and then I was swiping on Bumble. <laughs> and Guys, this is also just a shameless plug for Bumble. <laughs> yeah. Bumble sponsor us. Yeah, and like listed as like your full-time job right under your name. It says Molly and it says like host of Pod and Prejudice. And I was like, oh, she hosts the thing as her job. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and so uh, I looked up what that meant. Because it's I knew what Pride and Prejudice was. I just had never read it, um, and I don't I don't think I listened to any of it before we met. But then you told me all about it when we did meet, and then like a week or maybe even a couple days into dating, uh, Molly was like, "You should listen to this one episode that we did where we get into this whole debate about like when Harry met Sally and if people can just be friends and this whole thing." And she's like, "I think you'll side with Becca." So I was like, "Great, let me listen." And she sends me like a like it's like a 90 minute episode and I'm listening the whole time. I'm like live texting my thoughts on the podcast as it's happening. And I'm like, we got to get to this debate soon, I'm sure. And then you're like wrapping up. And I was like, Molly, I think you sent me the wrong episode. Like was this like it was like a random like part nine of like whatever. Uh, I had no idea what either of you were talking about the whole time. No one does, even Jane Austen experts. She was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. So then I ended up finding what episode it was because I realized after the fact that like in the description, here's here's a hot tip, everyone. In the description, it mentions what you reference. And so I was like, let me just find the description that says when Harry met Sally. And so then I listened to a second full episode because I was invested at that time. So my Jane Austen relationship is two unrelated episodes of your podcast. <laughs> That's not fair. You've also watched the back half of the 1995 census. I watched the last 20 minutes of the two of the 1995, mm -hmm. uh, where I swore Kate Winslet was not Kate Winslet, so I was too embarrassed to guess, and then I was right. It was Kate Winslet, uh, and then I fell asleep. But also on our first date, I was telling her about the podcast, and she went, uh "Oh, wait a minute, I've heard of this before," and I was like really? And she was like, yeah, do you know this person? Yeah. And, and then it was someone that I had met at a party like three years ago. And she was like, yeah, I wanted it. I went on a date with them. Yeah. And, and they listened to your podcast. Yeah. So shouts to anonymous. Yeah. Shouts to anonymous. Shouts to anonymous. Probably listening to this right now. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, all right. Question number two, which is going to spend male spiraling, but Mike might have an answer for, uh, which Austin character do you relate to the most? I, I mean, this has been talked about <laughs> so much on this podcast. To me, like, like there are moments where I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like shouting, like, "That's not what I said." <laughs> so I feel like I have some room to justify myself. Today. But no, uh, uh, it's been talked about on this podcast before. I am, I am clearly Bingley. Mm. It, it's just way too evident. It's literally even the the Pride and Prejudice, the BBC series. I look like the guy who plays. You really Bingley. do. Like he could be my brother, could pass as my brother. It is bizarre. So yeah, that's very true. Solid, mm -hmm. solid Bingley with with maybe like a touch of Edward in there. Aww. More so like the Hugh Grant floppy. The correct Edward. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Ooh, the fans Ooh. are gonna come for you, but we're gonna get into that. We're gonna get into all that. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll save it for the pod. All right, Mel, same question. And I gave you time to think about it while Mike was answering. Okay, so again, the only now the only thing I've seen is part one of the two-part Hulu uh 2008 Sense and Sensibility. So going off of that, I have a combat. Am I allowed to say two people or no? Yeah, for sure. No rules. There are no rules. So like right off the bat, I would say Eleanor because she seems to be very like realistic and like uh, logistical about her decisions and very like she's like, have you thought about steps one through 10 before going to step 10? But then like the more I met Marianne and the more I thought about my current situation with with this one sitting next to me, Aww. I was like, you know what? I definitely have some Marianne in me. And especially when she used walking as a tactic to just like escape all awkward moments. I was like, I love a walk. I love a, a purposeful walk. So I was like, a non-confrontation yeah. purposeful yeah. walk. Yeah. But then I also sort of felt for Margaret when she was like, do we have to keep walking? I was like, I feel that too. <laughs> like I initiate walks, but I also complain 
anytime I'm slightly uncomfortable. So I was like, I can relate to all of these people. Yeah. So essentially you're the Dashwood sisters at different points. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. I I love it too. I'm happy with that. All right. Question number three is what is your favorite Austin content, Mike? Uh, Again, I feel like my, my answers have been like laid out so many times before this. Well, it doesn't have to be Jane because I was going to say Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That's that's a fair answer. Okay, that's yeah. that's that's a fair answer. Yeah, it's 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 Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because it's very much catered to my taste. My initial answer, I stopped myself because Molly on on the Pod and Prejudice Instagram. I think you recently posted. You were like, "Tell us your favorite Pod and Prejudice works," and then you were like, "People keep saying it's our podcast, which is sweet but not helpful." <laughs> And so my first answer was going to be like this podcast because it's what I've listened to the most. But I was like, no, that's, that's okay. That's, you're allowed to say no, that. I don't, I don't no, you're, you're allowed to say the podcast. It makes you a better SO than Mike. <laughs> she was just really what? upset that people said the podcast. <laughs> no, I, wasn't, I wasn't upset. I was looking for, I asked, I put out a poll that was like, tell us about your favorite Jane Austen creators because I was like, who are we going to have on the show? And everyone was like, you guys. And everyone was like, yeah. it's you. And I was like, we're already on the show. We need guests. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I do. So far, so good on this Hulu series. It's the only thing I've seen, but I think by default, it wins as, as my favorite thing. Fantastic. And that brings us to our last question, which is the most fun, which is what is your hottest Austin take? So this is one that I don't think you guys talked about on the pod, but Molly, I know you tweeted it. Uh, the fact that Shrek is just Pride and Prejudice. It's classic enemies to lovers. Who is Wickham but Lord Farquaad? Lord Farquaad is so Wickham. And in the morning, we're making Donkey waffles. Donkey is so Bingley. <laughs> He's so Bingley. Look me, look me in the face and tell me that that, that is not something Bingley would say. 100%. In the morning, we're making waffles. In the morning, we're making anyway, waffles. This, um, is, this has been a great podcast. It's it's a shame it had to come to a, an end. Like <laughs> Wait, you didn't even let me get to the best comparison. Both of them involve very sexual scenes of men going into the water. It's the opening credit <laughs> scene where Shrek's in the swamp and the scene where he dives into the water. Very comparable. Very comparable <laughs> scenes, I think. Both iconic scenes. Oh my God. When he brushes his teeth with the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Molly, don't encourage this. Yeah. I love Shrek. Put those scenes side by side and essentially it's the same scene. I agree. Serves the same function. Also, my favorite part of Pride and Prejudice is when... Uh, Elizabeth turns into an ogre. Uh, of course, classically. Yeah, classic. Every night. So, Mel, what's your hot take? All right, I don't know if any of <laughs> if any of this is going to be a hot take, but I think uh, the first thing that came to mind is I think Taylor Swift's "All Too Well" was really just based on the scarf that uh, who stole it from Marianne Mar- steals yeah. it yeah. from Willoughby's house. Yeah, Marianne steals the scarf and the way she looks at it at the end of this episode. I mean, we're jumping right to the very last shot of this this episode, but I was like cue all too well right now this is this is what taylor was writing about i agree i mean yeah all too well definitely fits this love story for sure yeah and then i also think i don't know if this is a hot take but i think if you just had the video playing from from this episode and turned off the audio and then added the audio in from portrait of a lady on fire it's the same movie (laughs) oh i see that yeah it's like the waves crashing and like just two women like chasing after each other i'm like wow but it's a bit it's a bit sexier and, and gayer in portrait of the lady on yeah. fire but... oh i thought you were gonna say <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit sexier but i was like this feels this feels on brand all right so that brings us to talking about this uh adaptation um i wanted to give molly a moment to say a little bit because you're starting something new something you hadn't heard much about uh, so say, say a few words. I know I know you're going to say words and I know you think they're going to make me mad, but I'm going to come at them with other things as well. <laughs> cool. Some thoughts off the bat, having seen half of this adaptation. I like this better than the 1995 adaptation of Sense and Sensibility. Um, and not because we get to delve deeper into the plot, because honestly, like this book is long and the story is too much. It's too much. And also, sorry to the Dan Stevens stands because he is he is hot, but but Hugh Grant is a better Edward. However, there's just something about the take that this one approaches it with that like I'm enjoying watching. You know what? I'm coming at this way too hot. I'm hang on. You know, no, I'm gonna stand by it. I'm gonna stand by it. I'm gonna stand by it. Um, here's what I was gonna say is like I I 
I mean, first, when you first said that, like, it was like lightning flashed b- behind you to me. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, it was like whoa. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I thought about it a lot, and I did want to do um, a little background on this adaptation for maybe some of our listeners who are really big fans of Sense and Sensibility and for some reason haven't seen it or heard of it. For sure. So this is an adaptation that was done by Andrew Davies, who famously adapted um, Pride and Prejudice. So there was a lot of buzz around this film when it came out, this miniseries, because the Sense and Sensibility from 1995 is so iconic that people were really skeptical that anyone could do a great adaptation that would compare to the 1995 one. And Andrew Davies was quoted about it. And he said, quote, when there are great stories, you keep on coming back to them and doing them in different ways with different people at different lengths, really implying that this was going to be a different story, partially because it was going to be a longer one, a more faithful one, a different tone. Um, Whereas the Emma Thompson one is famously quite witty and satirical. Um, This one takes a darker tone. It takes a more dramatic tone. So sort of drawing out the sense the sensibility of it all instead of the sense of it all. So it was quite well received. Um, overall, it received pretty positive reviews. Fans of the, the book and the 1995 really like this adaptation. Generally, it is said to have been less favored than the 1995 one, particularly Ang Lee's very artistic um, and speculative direction of the 1995 one and certain performances from really standout actors. That being said, most people like both. And this is where the 1995 versus 2005 Pride and Prejudice debate differs from the 1995 Sense and Sensibility versus the 2008 Sense and Sensibility. I would say most fans would tell you they like the 1995 better, but no one really spends a lot of time arguing about it because ultimately they're not really comparable. And I would argue that in some ways the 1995 walked so the 2008 could run. And there are certain like points in it where you can see that they that Andrew Davis clearly pulled from Emma Thompson's screenplay almost as much as the original book. So I think your take is fair. It is kind of a hot take, but I think we also don't really need to um, define this one is better or worse than the 1995 one. I think you're totally right. I And I, it's interesting because amongst our listeners so far, a lot of people have asked us to talk about this one. But the most contention that I've seen is which Edward they like more. And if we said anything about Hugh Grant ever, all of our followers were like, yeah, but Dan Stevens, though. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. I will yeah. say Dan Stevens is um, Hugh Grant is the darling of the uh, 90s rom-com, whereas Dan Stevens is the darling of the aughts period piece. He's also a hottie. He is really hot. That's the other thing. He's a really hot man. Um, and I should also mention that this one uh, obviously was not up for any Academy Awards, but did win a BAFTA for Best Score, where The Sense and Sensibility won an Oscar for Best uh, Score, the 1995 one. The music in this is really good. Can I can I just give a quick moment of my, my favorite music moment? Yes. Okay. Oh, 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 yes. This is a, it was so good. <laughs> you, I think you have the quote written down, uh, but it's uh, there's who who is the person John it's John Dashwood talking to Fanny and she's trying to convince him of something oh gosh wait it's something Monday there's like something that gets said oh she says um I've t- I've written to Mary and told her that we'll be there on Monday and his head turns and there's just a music moment that goes ding as if like the oven it, he is fully cooked yeah he watched it like six times his head turned ding. Ding. a little self-roast he did there a little self-roast. which i think is a great foray into getting into the first episode yeah let's do what it do you think molly should we should we take our so's into the into the fray of discussing jane austen content i think we should you guys ready i'm very ready i'm so excited all right well i guess here we go I, and i just before we get into it though <laughs> I realize I came in very hot saying I like this better than the 1995, but I want to say that I love the 1995, and there are just elements of this that I'm really glad we got to see, basically. I, th- I think that's very true, and I think, like, points of comparison could be, like, I think that the direction on the 95 is better, um, and I think that some of the performances are better, but I do also think that certain casting choices are much better in this, like, having an Eleanor who's age-appropriate, or um, I also think it's interesting 
to take it to its more dramatic place. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we have both, I guess. Me too. I'm just glad we have both. Yeah, it's amazing that there's so much Jane Austen content out there. What a treat to have two really great adaptations. How lucky are we? We're so lucky. <laughs> I do feel like the editing choices on this, I haven't seen the 1995 one, but I feel like the like slow wipes and the weird like dissolves where you see four different like scenes happening at once. And I'm just like, this feels so 90s, even though it's made in 2008. Molly, I think we just have to watch Sense and Sensibility 1995 again with Mel. I think so. It's gonna happen. I think you need to watch the BBC series of uh, Pride and Prejudice with Mel with the <laughs> with the Darcy like Stanley Kubrick moment, the floating head, just like him appearing. That almost feels like this this adaptation was alluding to that with the angles underneath the carriages and stuff. Oh my god! Literally, like that is the thing about this adaptation that I understand the least because I'm just like, it'll be like. Very soft, very gentle, like very like typical Jane Austen adaptation. And then all of a sudden it's like a horror film where it's just like, like, like they're being chased in these carriages or something. But I love that. It's so overly dramatic. Because it's dark. It's so dark. Shameless plug for um, Molly and I appearing on But Make It Scary to make the 95 a horror movie. But we are all four of us dancing around yes, the let's opening do. scene to this. Yes. The opening scene. Okay, everyone. Ooh. It's 2008. We're having sex <laughs> on stage. <laughs> Wait, can I just quote real quick? Molly says, as soon as this starts, she, she I quote, it's sexy because it's 2008. <laughs> as opposed to 1995. <laughs> so we open on a steamy scene next to a fireplace with a man and a woman. And she says, are we sure about this? And he, she says, Mrs. Edwards. And he goes, Mrs. Edwards thinks you're still a child, but we know better than that, don't we? And it's very, very creepy. Very creepy, but they're also very naked. Very naked. And it's close-ups on their skin and him touching her. And we, we can only assume as, as viewers who have read the book that this is Willoughby and Eliza. And we see him riding away on his horse and her saying, gazing after him and saying, well, when will you come back? And he says, soon, very soon. And then we cut to the title sequence. I do want to say very quickly that Mike didn't get what it was the first time we watched it. Yes, I had no idea what was going on. And then we watched it a second time. And what did you say? I went, oh, okay. This is, uh, oh, what did I say? It was, I said something really stupid. (laughs) You said, oh, I get what this is now. This is Willoughby and... Colonel's uh, sister. I was like, his sister or whoever she is. I forget <laughs> the details. Yeah, but I, because I, I just was so thrown off the first time we watched it because I remember watching it the first time and literally saying, did we turn on the wrong movie? <laughs> yeah. What is this? Well, Andrew Davies was clearly going for the more explicit sex that's in Sense and Sensibility than in other Jane Austens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why we love it. So the title scene is very dramatic. There's shells waving in the wind. Because it's what? Because it's a seaside tale. We get the title sequence and we cut to Henry Dashwood dying. Again, a very dramatic beginning that is straight out of the 1995. Except I loved the camera work here, which was like, as if we're seeing it through Henry Dashwood's eyes. So like everyone's standing around blurry. The girls are here in the room, which was an excellent addition because they witness John Dashwood promising his dad that he's going to take care of them. And they all stare at him and watch him promise that. So it makes the betrayal even stronger later on. Then they cut to Henry being taken away in a carriage and the girls all crying. I think it's a hearse. A hearse. Oh, it's oh, it's not a, a beautiful afternoon for a carriage. <laughs> I meant I was I was gonna say a hearse, but then I was like, isn't that what the car is called? That you say is it? Was it still a hearse if it was carriage drawn? It's a good question. I think it was still a hearse. Was it still a hearse? I also assumed it was the car, but I. I, I am also willing to accept that it would probably be called the carriage as well. I don't think they called it the carriage. That'd be weird. Like, all right, guys, scoop them up and toss them in the carriage. The death carriage. The death, <laughs> the death carriage. carriage. The death carriage. A new film by M. Night Shyamalan. The death, the death carriage. carriage. First, they saw the signs. Now, it's happening. <laughs> then, they go away in the death carriage. All right, so, so he's getting taken away in his coffin, essentially. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the girls are, are standing outside of, of Norland and Margaret is crying. And we zoom out to see all of Norland Park and we hear Fanny Dashwood saying, Norland Park, ours at last. <laughs> it's very, she's very evil in this one. Yeah, I mean, the the um, Fanny Dashwood in 95 is like on the brink of a nervous breakdown the entire time. She's so evil. But this one gives off like villain vibes. Yeah. Yeah. When can I talk about her hair? You can talk about it now. Okay. Oh, you can talk about it now. Okay. Here's the thing. Okay. I had to write this down because I, I think I noted about six different hairstyles that she's rocking all at once. Okay. So Fanny, we got what I like to call the bagel bangs, which is her little bangs that look like tiny bagels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's got the bagel band bangs. She's got the braid band, which is the braided um, hair band that goes around uh, right, right above the bagel bangs. Um, then there's the little clippy clip on right, right behind the braid band, which is right, which is right behind the bagel, bagel bangs for those keeping score. Um, <laughs> so there's a little clippy clip. And, and then she's got the center part, which I would say is very 2022 of Fanny. So she's ahead of us, ahead of the curve on that. And then there's like this intricate top bun happening. So that's one, two, three, four, five hairstyles all at once. Um, <laughs> Really piloted by the bagel bangs. Her hair looks like a Game of Thrones map. It's like it's wild. <laughs> anyway, I just I just loved that a lot. Yes. So so she's got those hairstyles, and she and John are having the conversation where he's like, I'm supposed to give them something. And she's like, Oh no, you don't owe him anything. We're moving in there on Monday. Ding ding. And then they like cast a child as Henry, who I mean, I feel bad for this child, but the way they style him, my goodness. It was unkind. We said John is Willy Wonka and Henry is an Oompa Loompa. Yeah, that's what they look like. Wait, Henry is, is who? An, an Oompa Loompa. Because I was thinking Augustus Gloom. Oh, 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 that's actually is. better. You're right. He is. He looks like a little, like he's just going to eat from the chocolate river. You're so right. He totally does. When he's like sitting in the carriage with his carrots or whatever it is that he's snacking on and he just keeps like shoving them <laughs> in his mouth. Oh, you're so right. Yep. So we cut to the Dashwood women receiving the letter that they're going to get there on Monday. And it's Monday. They're like, wait, that's today. And Margaret. This Margaret is iconic. So the, the 1995, as you've said, Becca, gave Margaret a personality. And this one gave her, I think, a different personality, which I really liked. Like, they didn't just take that Margaret. This one is a little grumpier. She's a writer. She's sassy. And she is played by none other than Lucy, Lucy Boynton from Sing Street. Blank Don't stairs. all freak out at once. <laughs> Uh, neither of us have seen Sing Street, but maybe next October. It's not. A, I feel like she's also in like superhero. It's movies. not a scary movie. Oh, I thought it was a scary movie. No, Sing no. Street is about uh, some Irish youth starting a band. All right, cool, cool. So next St. Patrick's Day, we'll <laughs> watch Sing Street. Well, anyway, this Margaret Lucy Boynton says, "If she comes to live here, I might even poison her." And then sips her tea, and it's phenomenal. She's great. I love her. Then uh, we cut back to John and Fanny moving out of their already opulent house to move into Norland. I'm just confused. If they have such a great house, why are they moving into Norland? They have this beautiful townhome in London, right? Oh. And now they've got a beautiful country estate. If you've watched like other movies, like you'll see like you have both. Like that's what the rich people do. They have both the fancy townhome and the big estate and they could have like figured a way into to buying one as Bingley does in Pride and Prejudice but they instead inherited one which comes with like a lot of stuff it comes with title it comes with um like control of the whole estate the lands around it like it's the plates it's a whole silverware yeah it definitely like gives them a lot more wealth than they had before so they don't need to live there, but they get to. Like, rich people accumulating wealth at the top. That's what Jane Austen is dinging. Ding. <laughs> Ding. Head turn. Ding. <laughs> so we see them coming in their carriage. And um, I think, I don't know who said this, but I couldn't get it out of my mind that Fanny is dressed like Yzma. Was that you, Mike? Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because I'm so desperate to talk about this. Talk about you it. guys, while reading the book, were like saying that like, 
oh yeah, they're they're like, you know, the classic villain and sidekick. And then one of you was like, oh yeah, it's uh, Yzma and Kronk. And it was such a perfect comparison. And then here comes Fanny in this film dressed like Yzma. Just, it's just, it's it's perfect. I know who Yzma is, but for your listeners, um, you just want to clarify who that is? Mel hasn't seen a lot of movies. What's that? Uh, no, I, I absolutely know. <laughs> it's from The Emperor's New Groove. Mike is referring to like Fanny's elaborate like hair on top, like that almost makes a headdress, like incredibly slender frame in sort of like a weirdly voluptuous dress. Oh yeah, okay, I see that. You know, I think I have seen that movie. She looks familiar. We can watch it after this. So we cut to Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood walking through Norland and Eleanor telling her mom that she doesn't need to move her stuff out of her room because like they're they're not going to kick them out of their room. And Mrs. Dashwood is like staring out the window sadly. And Eleanor says he promised to take care of us, which is great because they were there watching him promise. And then we cut to the carriage and Fanny convincing John not to give them any money. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Then the servants and the Dashwoods are all lined up in front of the house. And Margaret is muttering that she's not even going to speak to them. And Eleanor's like, yes, you will. We are the guests now. And this Mrs. Dashwood looks like Sarah Paulson. And then we got to thinking, who does everyone look like? Because they all look like knockoff versions of other people. So we've got. Sarah Paulson, we've got Fanny looking like Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. and Marianne looking like someone that I don't know, but Mel Mel wrote this one down. Yeah, I said Erica Christensen, uh, famously from Parenthood uh, on NBC, and um, I think that's all she was ever in. <laughs> no, she's a pretty good actress. Anyway, that's all we got, but let us know what you think, listeners. Well, I, I think it's notable because Gemma Jones is amazing as Mrs. Dashwood, but this Mrs. Dashwood is hot. Yeah. Super hot. And I actually think it adds something to the story because something um, that we didn't talk about a lot with the book, but does exist in the story is that like Mr. Dashwood was married and then got widowed and then married again quite a bit younger than himself. Mm-hmm. And they were very in love. But Mrs. Dashwood is on the receiving end of, like, what could happen to Marianne for marrying well above her age. Yes. Oh, yeah. Didn't think of that. Oh, my God. Because in this mo- in this adaptation, later on, Mrs. Dashwood says, men of 35 have married women of 17, 17. I think. I and it was, like, this moment. And I was like, what does she mean by that? I didn't even get that Henry Dashwood was a lot older than her, but that makes a total sense. I don't think she was 17 when she married him because if you do the age calculation necessarily, she would have been 21 when she had Eleanor, but she was young and he was not as young. She was young and also like, just like the age difference might've been the same. Yeah, it could have been. My mind was just blown. I just had like the like the Tim and Eric gif, the Tim and Eric show gif of like, it was like mind blowing. Like that was just me right now. I was like, oh, I didn't realize like that before. Like the butterfly in the sky. Yeah, 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 like that, that, that yeah, yeah, the, the TikTok thing. I just watched his face just go. I was like. Oh, sorry, Graham, I know this is an audio medium. Anyway. <laughs> Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. 
Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. So at dinner... Once they get there, Fanny asks Eleanor and Marianne if they're still at their hobbies. She's like, oh, Eleanor, you're still playing the piano and Marianne, you're still drawing. And Eleanor's like, Marianne's the musician. And Margaret says she's going to be a writer. And then Fanny is like, well, pens and paper cost very little. So that's that's a wise choice because she sucks. And then she says that she really likes the plates. And then Marianne is like, yeah, and the plates belong to the house, which belongs to you now. And uh, she like outbursts at them. Then the next day, Eleanor is trying to confront Marianne about her outburst and be like, you can't really talk to them like that at the dinner table. And then Mrs. Dashwood comes in and she's like, look at these two houses. Like, I, I like this one best. And Eleanor is like, mom. And this is where having an Eleanor that actually looks 19 comes in handy. Definitely comes in handy in this Yeah, because she's like looking at her mom like, aren't you supposed to be the one making smart decisions? And her mom just looks so lost and she's like, we can't afford these houses. We need to get something smaller like a cottage. And her mom's like, I don't think you know how I feel. No, she. what's her line? She goes, Eleanor, sometimes I think you just don't understand how I feel because that's my mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't laugh on this. Antonia listens. Shout out to Antonia. Becca, how dare you say that? How dare you say that about your mother? This was a moment where I was like, oh, I relate to Eleanor because there's like a moment when you grow up that you realize your parents are just people too. And like, Hmm. there's a certain switch that happens where you're like, oh wait, I actually might be like more realistic in this moment about a decision than they are. So I felt for Eleanor when she was like, mom, we can't do this. And I was like, yeah, I've had to, I've had to do that. Um, So I was like, yeah, I I appreciated her uh, laying down the hammer. Is that the saying? Nope. Okay. (laughs) I agree a thousand percent. It's just one of those like heartbreaking moments where it's just like, oh, like Eleanor just realized that she has to be the adult in this situation because mm-hmm. her mom is still kind of like in this fantasy of like, oh, things are bad, but we can still have, you know, a modest living. And Eleanor's like, no, it's it's going to be way more modest than this. Like you you can't even afford the, what does she say? The the, the shed on yeah, this property. Like, like you can't even afford that. So like, like narrow your expectations and like, it hurts. I think everyone's gone through that. Like, it hurts being in that situation, knowing that you have to be and the adult in the situation when I, your parent is in the room. I also think it really plays out on Mrs. Dashwood's face as well, because she she goes, I suppose you'd have us live in a rabbit hutch. And I think, like, for her, it's this moment of defensiveness. Like, she's not taking care of her daughter. Her daughter's acting like she is better and, like, better equipped to deal with the situation than she is. And she, at the same time, she's just wrought with this grief over losing her husband and losing her home. So it's as if her daughter's looking at her like she's in denial, Mm -hmm. but it's more like she can't bear another thing going wrong. Yeah. It's sad. The story's so heartbreaking. The drama. The drama. So then Fanny bursts in on this moment to tell them that Edward is coming. I had to ask, is it just me or is she like just a little bit creepy in the way she's talking about him? She's like, we are very favored. Yeah, it's almost sexual. Yeah, it's really weird. He's very distinguished. He has a very discerning eye. I was like, what are you talking about? He's your brother. At siblings are dating. (laughs) I also had like a very difficult time. I had to keep asking Molly, like, who was related to who? I think having no knowledge of this book and then going into this adaptation, like, I wish they would have given just a quick recap of like, all right, this is this is the family tree of every character. Because I was like, wait, who's related? And she was like, oh, yeah, it's like they're going to live with their uncle's cousin. And I was, she was like, that's just a thing they did back then. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> oh, Molly, you're doing what I did. Yeah, it's true. The, the torch has been passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So this is one of our favorite moments. I think you thought this was one of your favorite moments. This is one of my favorite moments. Fanny says that Edward has a very discerning eye and they got to clean up. And she goes, things to do, things to do. And she gives them a little side eye and then kind of backs out of the room. That's my favorite like room exit line delivery I've ever seen, I think. Things to do, things to do. And then she's out. Like she's looking at them like clean up your house and just goes, things to do. It's brilliant horrible oh my god she's such a passive aggressive fanny it's fabulous she's also hot everyone mike actually pointed this out this is a movie other than john everyone's hot yeah the very very hot casting very very hot casting because like some people are hotter than they're supposed to be and fanny is certainly one of them yeah because she's not I mean, you think of Fanny. Oh, well, I guess in the book, I thought of Fanny as hot. I mean, and like 1995 Fanny, she's she's hot. Yeah, the mom from Ted Lasso. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Rebecca's yeah. mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Rebecca's mom. I mean, Viper in my bosom, I, I get turned on every time. But <laughs> Mike is like, hmm? <gasps> so after she leaves, Margaret pops out from under the table. <laughs> Very 1995 moment of Margaret. And she says, I bet he's just like her. Then we go to a commercial break. <laughs> Ad supported Hulu, everybody. Ad supported. So we cut to Eleanor cleaning things up in the library and she sees her dad's Bible and she opens it and inside is the family register. So something I didn't clock, so I noticed it, but I didn't like pause on it when we were watching is that the family register has each person's like year of birth which to me means that we could calculate how old everyone's supposed to be in this adaptation and whether or not it's book accurate. Oh. I didn't look. I should have. But we'll, uh, maybe we'll post it to our uh, Instagram when this episode comes out. Or when we record our next episode, we can add that in. I feel like there were also a few things that our listeners responded to from our last set of episodes that I've been meaning to like say on the air that we have heard you. Oh, oh one of them is that the double wedding thing. It's a it's a matron of honor situation. A matron of honor and potentially Edward officiated their wedding at the end of the 1995 because oh, he's wearing his oh, it's I know. Disgusting. I love it. Uh, for those of you who are tuning into this for the first time, this is also for SO content. Yes, as and, well, for, sure. and for uh, Mike and Mel. At the end of the 1995 Sense and Sensibility, there is a wedding and it is Marianne and Brandon and some folks. Becca and Kara, who was our guest included, thought that it was a double wedding at the end. And I was like, well, they got married a lot after uh, Eleanor and Edward in the book. And then a lot of listeners wrote in and said they were under the impression that Edward officiated the wedding. And actually, um, in the screenplay, it says apparently that Eleanor is her matron of honor. So very cute. Mm. Very sweet. I don't think it's I, I don't think the movie makes it super clear, but I'm glad that's what it is. Because it always bummed me out that Eleanor was wearing like brown clothes yeah, for her wedding. No, that would have, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's a completely different adaptation. I just was like, oh, our listeners wrote to us about some stuff. Anyway, thank you, listeners, for answering our questions. Um, I'm often not the best Jane Austen aficionado. You're the best Jane Austen aficionado. Oh, stop. The only Jane Austen aficionado I need in my life. Oh, <laughs> more than I needed in my life, but you know, I. <laughs> I, I'm not complaining. So we were talking about the family register. And then um, I, I wanted to call out that this movie also, in addition to the 1995, does do a really good job with highlighting their grief, although I think not as well so far. Um, it was really a focal point in the 1995. But in this moment, Eleanor finds her dad's pencils and has a little moment with them. And it's very sweet. And I think the, they do a good job, at least with um, Eleanor and Mrs. Dashwood grieving. Oh, yeah. Also, I think Eleanor is going to give these pencils to Margaret at the end of the movie. So I'm just like throwing that out there mm-hmm. as a prediction. I will neither confirm nor deny. It's been a while since I've had to not confirm or deny anything because usually for for the most of this, you've known what's happened in the movies. I know. This is a so. nice little addition. This is the first time you, like, you, you don't know what's going to come next for a while. Then outside, Martha is beating out some rugs and Eleanor goes out and is like, Martha, what are you doing? Martha's their servant. And Martha's like, Fanny ordered us to clean these rugs. And, Mar- and Eleanor's like, well, you just did that. And, and she was like, well, she told us to do it again. And Eleanor's like, go back inside. These are clean. And then she takes Martha's like beating stick that she was beating the rugs with. And she whacks 
the rug and like gets all of her anger out, which I love because that's so emblematic of who Eleanor is as a person. Yeah, they didn't have kickboxing back then, I don't think. So no. this was like, this is, you just had to beat the shit out of some r- hanging rugs. It's a very early indication that there's more emotions bubbling in Eleanor than meets the eye. Yeah, mm. she like looks all around and is like, is anyone here? Bam! It's the footloose anger dance of the Jane Austen era. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> much just her going, fuck Fanny into that rug. Yeah. Then we turn around and who should we meet but Edward Ferrer's so he's here now. So first off, I do want to say um, I do like him as Edward. I get why others might not. Um, I do think he's very hot. So Molly expected a bald man when it came to Dan Stevens initially. Um, Dan Stevens is not bald. Dan Stevens is a pretty famous actor now. This is before he was famous. But he's best known for Downton Abbey, where he plays the male heartthrob Matthew Crawley in the series. He's very good in that, and he was so good in that, in fact, that it skyrocketed him to fame, and um, he then was in, like, several very well-known movies after that, including Beauty and the Beast, Yeah, where he did play the Beast, and there is some absolutely spectacular content of him in the CGI suit dancing with Emma Watson. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, can I just say that... Everyone was like, haven't you seen Downton Abbey? Like, Dan Stevens. And then uh, some people, my roommate included, were like, yeah, but he's in Beauty and the Beast. And, well, first she she said, he's in something I think you'll know him from. She was very good about not spoiling it. Other people that I work with were like, but Beauty and the Beast. Nobody mentioned Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Wow. What a pull. What a phenomenal film that he was in that I loved him in. As a surprise to no one, I haven't seen any of these things. (laughs) He came on screen and I said, that is a new face. (laughs) See, like, to me, for him to be Edward, he's, like, a little too hot. And I know Edward's supposed to be, like, handsome. But he's he's, not. He's just Hugh Grant. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. Like, Hugh Grant did such a good job of playing him as this, like, sort of floppy, lovable, like, and it sort of justifies his decisions in the story more because it's like when you watch Hugh Grant do it, it's like, oh, it's like he's just clumsy. He's he's flirting because he's clumsy and like, I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm in love with you. I, I don't know how to speak because <laughs> I'm in love with you. Right. Whereas like this guy, it's like, dude, you're so obviously flirting and you know what you're doing. He he like reminds me of like the older brother on sitcoms. Yes. Mm. Yes, oh he's my god. Like the, he's like oh, in Boy Meets like World. Eric Matthews. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've seen that exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And it's just like you so know what you're doing that it's so much harder to justify your actions later. Yes. Especially one moment that I really have to call out is uh, and it happens later but I'll say it now is when he's he's walking with Eleanor and they're talking about their ideas of happiness and she's like well, I think we all have to find our own ideas of happiness. And he's like, yeah, mine is a a small country cottage or a small country parish. Um, I want to work in the church and uh, have like a quiet living. And Eleanor's like, yeah, I think I much prefer your idea of happiness. And he says, do you? Good. A small country parish it is. And I was like, that's flirting. And then I said, Edward Ferrers, who, quote, is no great orator. Sure. Sure, my dude. Yeah. And compare that later to when Willoughby, like, promises uh, Marianne the horse. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's supposed to be, like, oh, like, he's implying marriage even though he's already broken for and blah, blah, blah. It's the same conversation. And it's, like, how are we supposed to justify it for this dude but hate this other dude for it? It just doesn't. Yeah, I totally agree. It doesn't work as well. Well, we'll get there. I think there are some notable discrepancies. It's almost like this adaptation takes all the flirtation up a notch. Yeah. Edward is definitely up a notch in this adaptation. And then we'll get to it. But they definitely crank up Marion and Willoughby. Yes. Because mm. um, I think there is a notable difference in this adaptation between like how Edward and Eleanor are and Willoughby and Marianne. And Edward and Eleanor are kind of not quite, but almost at like Marion and Willoughby in the 1995 adaptation levels. But Marion and Willoughby are like, um, how do I put this delicately at uh, Bridgerton levels? Yeah. Mike just choked on his tea. I saw like 10 minutes of that show and I was like, Whoa. Yeah. yeah, that Whoa. show is steamy. I watched it with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Becca's 
said, don't watch this with your mom. And I said, I don't have anyone else to watch it with. Oh. And I said, watch it alone. I watched it alone. I watched yeah. it with my mom. We had a great time. That's amazing. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so should we... Should we get back to this yeah. one? Eleanor was blinking in slow motion. I just want to make an editing note real quick. They literally, I think they literally slowed down her eyes when he entered. I wrote, Eleanor blinks in slow-mo to Edward. That's actually like a choice the actress makes a lot in this film. Like the wide-eyed no blink of yeah. Eleanor yeah. as sort of like her way of showing that she's stunned. The eyelid mm-hmm. just shuts so slow. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that. Also, bird watchers out there, just keep an eye on this scene because the birds are really aggressive. I just want to circle back to my hot take there that the birds are very loud. And this scene, I was like, I just, I just there's just so many birds. And I live above a bar and we were watching this above a bar where yeah. the music is bumping. Yeah. And still we could hear the birds. The birds were really, just really taking, taking their moment to shine here. Anyway, Edward... <laughs> offers to help beat out the rugs and Eleanor's like, no, I'll take you to see your sister. So they go inside and Fanny is like, why do you look like that? And Edward's like, oh, I I left my horse at the stables and and thought I'd go for a walk. Margaret is like, how long are you going to stay? And I like how Eleanor like snickers behind Margaret. She's like, oh, like Margaret's being sassy and we hate our cousins. Fanny then shows Edward to the library and she's talking about how she's going to rip out all the whatever. And he is looking kind of shocked by this. And then Eleanor comes in and Fanny is like, well, don't let us disturb you, Eleanor. And then um, Edward is like, Fanny, let me tell you something. This library is perfect as it is. You don't need to change anything. It's supposed to be dusty and full of places to hide. It's a place of refuge, a place to hide in. Yeah, and he winks. He winks at Margaret, who's hiding behind a table, which is also, again... Very 1995. Yeah, the one of the big things they take from 1995 is how do we make Edward likable? Oh, I know. He'll be great with Margaret. Right. The save the dog trope. They're like, if you want to like show a character as being good, you have to have them save the dog. Or it could be, you know, a child or, you know, a little old lady crossing the street or something. But like, you just have to have them like, you know, save the dog. Do something that's just so overbearingly nice. These are the people you hear about on the 2020 specials. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, they were wonderful. So well liked by the neighbors. And then they murdered 12 people. Wait, I didn't know. I did <laughs> yeah. not know that's where you were yeah, going. Yeah, 2020. That. That's all they talk about in 2020. It's what like, are you talking about 2020? I thought you meant about 2020 the year. Oh, I forgot you don't watch ABC. So ABC, um, the, the TV network, uh, has a show called 2020 where it's all about. I thought you were talking about news reports in 2020. That's what I, I thought. Like, that's no, what I no, no, no. I'm so sorry. Okay, so there's a show called 2020 where it's like a two-hour special about like usually about like a murder or like some famous murder case and it always starts with a save the dog kind of person and it's like they go into their backstory about whatever and then but then they're always the murderer well edward's not the murderer i don't know that yet i have not seen the ending <laughs> that's true that's true anyway speaking of we should get back into this yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll never get to the end we'll never no, get to it that's true okay. it never ends okay then Edward and Eleanor go for their little walk and he tells her about how he wants to go into the church and he's a disappointment to his family and he flirts with her. Um, he tells her that his father died when he was 17 and he would love to be a comfort to her in this time, which I thought was a nice addition because we don't really learn anything about him in the book. And so they just like, it, it felt a little bit shoehorned for him to be like, I'm going to be your friend now. It was a bit of an awkward line, but it is very inherent in sort of the writing of the 1995 as well. Um, when Edward basically says their lives will never be the same, Fanny, uh, we just, they just lost their father and he offers, um, Eleanor the handkerchief and is seen like comforting her in these times and explaining to uh, listening to her talk about how she will not inherit anything. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more shown there instead of told, but here it's, it's accomplishing in a much shorter scene, uh, the same idea. And then you get the montage of them hanging out together and flirting. And watching Margaret with her, like, weird dolls. Puppet show. Her puppet show. <laughs> Which is sweet, but those dolls are really They're creepy. They're really creepy. I didn't care for them. Neither did Fanny, which is why, you know, cut to Fanny. So we cut to Fanny, like, watching this and looking angsty about it. And then we cut to Marianne walking by Mrs. Dashwood, and she is watching Edward and Eleanor out in, outside and looking at them flirting and Marianne comes and she's like I want to get out of here now and Mrs. Dashwood is like well I want to see what happens between Edward and Eleanor and Marianne is like oh I I like Edward he's great but I just require so much more than 
that like he she says that he doesn't like he doesn't really understand her drawings and he doesn't have a taste in his reading and whatever all the things that Marianne thinks about him and she says she'll never meet a man that she could truly love then we cut to Marianne and Eleanor talking about Eleanor and Edward and Marianne says all these same things to Eleanor and Eleanor defends him saying he just has a different style from Marianne Marianne is like do you love him? And Eleanor's like, I have feelings for him. And I think that he returns them, but I do not hope for something that may never happen. I think this scene is interesting because there's a, there's obviously parallel scenes in both the book and the 1995 as well. They make Marianne a little sweeter in this adaptation. Mm -hmm. She's a bit gentler with Eleanor. She's not sort of yelling at her or teasing her, making fun of her. She's just like, really him? I'll miss you. But like, really him? Yeah, I think that Overall, all the characters in this adaptation are a little bit softer. Like they're not such caricatures or um, like exaggerations of a personality trait. Yes, I, I think that's true. But I do think that with Marianne in particular, it's not just a like a volume down. It's also there's a genuine um, bite to Marianne that is a little bit she can be a little vicious. Yeah. And uh, she can be a little mean. And sometimes in a like in a way that's just kind of funny and fun and, you know, and good fair play. Uh, but it, sometimes she can be a little mean. And like that's that's what makes Kate Winslet's performance really sing is that she's able to play that off as not a, a complete flaw, but just like a flaw, if that makes sense. And um, the way that Marianne's played in this is much gentler. Yeah. And their relationship between the two of them is much more like best friends. Yeah. Which I think is helped by the fact that they're more similar in age. Yes. Sorry, Emma Thompson. Another thing that our listeners wrote to us about was that Emma Thompson didn't want to play Eleanor and the directors made her for the ratings or something. It's a producer's thing. Yeah. That's like a producer's thing like, oh, we can't have Emma Thompson just write the movie. She's such a big name. We got to have her star in it. Right. Then we cut to Fanny watching Eleanor and Edward walking down the path and Fanny stops Mrs. Dashwood to tell her that Edward has to marry well in order to gain his inheritance from his mom, which is a scene, again, that is directly lifted from the 1995 that's not in the book. Unless it is in the book. I don't remember it being in the book. It's like a sentence in the book where Fanny's like, it, it says like Fanny told Mrs. Dashwood that he had to marry for money and Mrs. Dashwood was upset. Okay. Well, I like the scene, but... I, I've always thought that it was a little on the nose because they're like, he will be disinherited if he marries down. <laughs> Maybe I just missed it when we were reading the book, though, because I was really surprised when he was disinherited and <laughs> for marrying down. I mean, she doesn't say he would be disinherited. It She says basically like he has to marry for money. In the 1995, they say he will be disinherited. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. I also think that like, and, and it's probably because it's a film versus a book. Like, and I, I, clocked this in the scene when the father is dying there's a lot of like exposition that's stated explicitly and that's just because like there are things that like you know one if you're watching like a film you might not know a lot of the background context of like oh wait i get to do it i get to do it say it the economics of dating in jane austen ran the sound effects oh that's that felt so good that felt powerful (laughs) Um, but you know, so they, they, they have to kind of like state these things outwardly. And I, I noticed that in the beginning and the reason why it worked really well in the beginning is because like Henry is explaining this to John and I'm like, well, yeah, he probably would have to because John's kind of an idiot and probably doesn't understand the economics of dating in Jane Austen. Again, the sound effect. Yes. Ding. I mean, yeah, I think that's totally right. I think it's a combo of just uh, how films work and needing to give like more exposition in a spoon fed manner. So the whole thing ties together. And also just the fact that like a lot of that, the context is stuff Austen fans know when they read the books, but people who are casually watching things don't know as well. So excellent point, Mike. Score one. Score one for Mike. I just, I just needed an excuse to, 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 to do, to do the sound effect. It felt right. <laughs> yeah. At this, Mrs. Dashwood's like, "Yes, I understand completely." And then they get the letter from Sir John, inviting them to come stay at Barton Cottage. And Eleanor's like, "Yeah, I think we should consider this." And Mrs. Dashwood's like, "I'm gonna accept." And Eleanor's like, "Really?" And Mrs. Dashwood's like, "Yeah, I want to get out of here by the end of the week." So we cut to them telling Fanny. 
And Fanny's like, oh, yes, a cottage will be quite cozy. I quite envy you. And Margaret is like, then you should go live there and we'll stay here at Norland. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Beautiful moment. Yeah. And then um, Mrs. Dashwood gives John the equivalent of the the middle finger, mm-hmm. uh, but in the Re- Regency era by saying, because he's like, wow, well, uh, John Middleton must be really well off. And she goes, he saw the opportunity to do some kindness and he was glad to take it. And she says, like, such kindness from a man we've never even met. And then John kind of gets it and feels like guilty for a second. Yeah, that, that man doesn't really have much uh, brain space, does he? Mm-hmm. I, this was uh, an, a moment in this part. Um, I wanted to say that Mrs. Dashwood in this is like she's less over the top than she is in the books. Like she's grieving and she's she's subtle about it. And I just really like this Mrs. Dashwood. I, I don't know if anyone will ever top Gemma Jones, but it's a perfect analogy for sort of like the, the Mrs. Dashwoods are a great analogy for the two adaptations because Gemma Jones definitely plays like a slightly different character than the book Mrs. Dashwood. And uh, the Mrs. Dashwood in this adaptation, who I also know from a really crappy show called The White Queen, where she she was playing the uh, a character in The War of the Roses. It was great. But she plays I, she plays Mrs. Dashwood as I read the character, like 40 years old, kind of like not somebody who necessarily knows how to like operate in the harder parts of life, but also someone who loves her daughters a lot and tries really hard. Yeah. So I think what it is, is like, this Mrs. Dashwood is a softened but very like book accurate version of Mrs. Dashwood, whereas Gemma Jones gives a tour de force performance as this mother She's so in a role that's like tweaked from the book. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Then we cut to Eleanor and Marianne and Margaret. They're all in the library and Edward comes in and Marianne is like, come on, Meg. I like that they call her Meg. Love that Marianne calls her Meg. They they do it a lot. Yeah. I, I love like that. That's nickname. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's like, let's go. So those two leave and we have Edward and Eleanor alone. And this was more accurate to the book. Also, him never actually trying to tell her how he has a fiance. But instead, he's just standing there like, um, you have been a very good friend and I appreciate your friendship. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's like on the verge of either tears or an erection and it's not clear which. (laughs) And he has a little gift and he hands it, he puts it on the table in front of her. And then he's just like, gotta go. So he basically friend zones her. The gift makes me so emotional though. It's so sweet. It's so earnest. Do you want to tell the people what the gift is? Gets her this little book of natural like fauna and he signs it from him. And, and it's just like, it's for her sketching. And it's just such a sweet, modest gift from a guy like, who's like trying really hard to show he's cares and he's thoughtful, but it's just so simple. Like, it's just like this little like bean of a gift. I don't know. It just makes me really mm, sappy. It is really sweet, but it also says your affectionate friend, which just furthers the friend zoning. <laughs> <laughs> I I take that to be like, like it's a bit friend zoning, but the your affectionate friend with his signature is also just like very like, it's very like Jane Austen for, for sex day, you know? For sure. It's your affectionate friend. You're affectionate. Yeah, I'm affectionate for you. But she doesn't open it yet. He just hands it to her and, and walks away. And then she just looks like she's been gut punched um, because he friend zoned her so hard. And also because he's leaving. Well, she's leaving and he is okay with that. Um, then we cut to them getting into the carriage and John saying goodbye. And he just doesn't have any. He's so clueless. He doesn't know what he's done wrong. He's like, well, uh, see you soon. And Mrs. Dashwood just goes, thank you, John, with like no facial expression, which I loved. <laughs> A queen. Iconic. And Margaret glares at, uh, I wrote Baby Oompa Loompa, but Baby Augustus Blue. <laughs> um, and he's just like staring blankly into space. And his little glasses. Yeah, his little glasses. <laughs> And Eleanor watches Edward out of the carriage window as they're driving away. And Edward looks so sad and she looks so sad. But I have to say, there is someone standing on the back of the carriage holding all their luggage in place. And that's just someone's job to stand there the whole time. (laughs) 
and hold their luggage in in place. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this really beautiful moment. And then I noticed that someone just has to stand there for like 24 hours while they drive to the countryside and hold their luggage in, in place in the rain and the cold. Yep. Wow. <laughs> wow. Not to mention the person up front who has to like guide the horses and that's effort. Yeah, true. Basically, it sucks to live in 18 whatever. I know. I was watching this like and I, I turned to Mike and I was like, you know, I know it would have sucked to be in this era for a lot of reasons, but man, I like to fantasize. Yeah, like it would be it would be fun to live in. Well, actually, in any era, it would be fun to live in a mansion. It'd be fun to be <laughs> Mrs. Jennings. Yeah, I wrote Mrs. Jennings is a hero with her flappy hat. She does have a really good flappy I hat. I really liked the flappy hat. I guess we'll talk about Miss Jennings in the next episode. Yeah, we we got through none of this movie. Um, no. <laughs> But we are at time. Um, are we invited back or are we cut? Oh, no. <laughs> no, we're both. We're breaking up with both of you. I opened this podcast with comparing Pride and Prejudice to Shrek. I don't think anyone wants me back. <laughs> well, in case anybody wants to hear from you, do you guys want to plug anything? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram uh, at Mike Dowd Comedy. Uh, I also have two podcasts that I'm on and they're both uh if you're a fan of David Lynch or any of his work I don't know what the layover you know what the crossover between <laughs> Jane Austen and David Lynch is. It might just be couples like us but go on <laughs> I, yeah I don't I would love to see the Venn diagram on that but um I have a, a podcast called Welcome to Twin Speaks which is actually kind of like this podcast except with uh Twin Peaks content my friend Janine, she's never watched the show before. Uh, and the other podcast that I'm on is a David Lynch-inspired Seinfeld reboot uh, in which, you know, it's Seinfeld and then weird, crazy things happen. And I do the voice of Kramer on it. It's called The Other Side of Darkness. Uh, you can follow at Peaks. That's S-E-I-N-P-E-A-K-S. Uh, for updates on that. And those are all the wonderful, fun things I'm doing right now. Yay. Uh, and as for me, uh, you can find me on Instagram at MelRubin2. And um, similarly to what Molly's doing with Jane Austen, uh, you can go back during 2020. I started reading Harry Potter for the first time. So in my little highlights, you can you can follow along with that journey that <laughs> took an abrupt pause <laughs> somewhere in book four. And I haven't resumed it yet. But anyway, uh, that's me. And uh, please follow Milo. More importantly, uh, he's at Milo the Miki, M-I-K-I. He's a tiny little four pound dog that you probably heard his little kisses throughout this episode. And I also do uh, hip hop improv comedy and we do virtual stuff and we're on TikTok, so if that's your thing, uh, we're at North Coast NYC on all socials. So uh, we have some fun clips that we post, and um, yeah, you can check us out there. Yay! All right, sounds good. So we will be back next week with the next part of this miniseries that we will try to keep to four episodes. <laughs> yeah! Well, thank you, Mike and Mel, for joining us on this here podcast of ours. And until next time, stay proper. And things to do. Things to do. Love it. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.